She won the top spot on NBC's The Voice, and in the process, also won the hearts of many in this nation. Today, Cassidy Pope stands poised with guitar in hand to launch into the next phase of her expanding musical career. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America. All my life, watching America. All my life, it's panic in America. Oh, 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 it's trouble in America. From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America. From West Palm Beach, Florida, to the world, to Los Angeles, to Nashville, to a sound device near you. If my heart had a heart, it would show me some mercy. Wouldn't be so cold and cruel, no one wouldn't keep hurting me. me some slack have my back it would give me a break Cassidy Pope if my heart had a heart it would go on and leave me alone it stop having a mind of its own let me forget you and let me let go it would stop hanging on it would finally put this to rest instead of putting the stake in my chest Cassidy Pope, how wonderful to have you on Watching America. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, you and I have something in common. Uh, Well, you have a a greater case of it, and I have a a less intense example of it, but it's actually geographical location. You see, at one time in my life, I used to live in West Palm Beach. And I used to, yeah, I used to be in the 33405. I used to live between, between South Olive and Dixie Highway. And, uh, oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, that's so like really close to where I went to middle school. Uh, oh, good. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there used to be, um, you know, Dryer Park and all these different places. I used to go, and um, Miami was my port of entry into the United States. So, uh, I oh was. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, I was in West Palm Beach. So I love the terrain, and of course, you know, yeah. there is such a divide between West Palm Beach and going across the bridge, and you're in Palm Beach, and it's another yeah. world. So, anyway. It is. Yeah. Well, wonderful to have you here. Let me just start by talking about West Palm Beach, if I may. Um, how much is that is, do you think, is an integral part of who you are as an artist, the, the if you will, Southern Florida scene? Mm, it's definitely an eclectic place. You know, there are a lot of inspirations and a lot of different kinds of music floating around there. I mean, I grew up listening to mostly what my parents were listening to, which was classic rock and a lot of Boston and Journey. And then, you know, I went to rock shows basically in my teenage years in West Palm Beach because there there was an amazing um, pop rock scene there. So I did that a lot. And then when I started to sing um, professionally, I was doing a lot of country music and um, covering Martina McBride and 
stuff like that. So I think I think Florida, um, especially West Palm Beach, has a lot to of influence on kind of my wide range of influences. Well, you know, it's interesting because you have the Miami uh, situation, which was the Miami sound, which so, so, you know, there was the Bee Gees Miami sound, and then there was uh, the mm. Latin Miami sound. And then going north, uh, northern Florida, you have Tom Petty and that influence. So, but w- to my knowledge, and you can correct me, I, I know that you're friends with uh, uh, Brooke Eden, but it isn't yeah. uh, an intensified area, although there's a lot of great musicians uh, that hail from Florida. So, yeah. uh, your first song you wrote, which was called Flower. What inspired that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I can't believe you know that. Um, I, I, I don't really know what inspired that. I think I was just a growing girl. I mean, I was seven when I wrote it, so I'm not sure how much growing I actually was doing, <laughs> but, um, I, I remember sitting down and I didn't know how to play an instrument at that time. So I would, I just wrote down some lyrics and, um, started singing a melody and sort of started, I guess, matching the lyrics to the melody and like spitting words into the melody and, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of still what I do, uh, when I'm writing in a session, but I just came up with the idea randomly. It must've been, maybe I was learning about flowers in school or something and photosynthesis and whatnot. Well, you, you started so, with the lyric that we all, we all start as a seed. And even at the age yeah. of seven, you had an incredible acuity and, and presence of mind to make a, analogous oh, statements about people and flowers. So, the heart of the poet was there. I think so. I mean, I always really loved drawing comparisons between um, what happens with humans and what happens with, you know, animals and flowers and and plants and the sky. And I was always really inspired by my surroundings. And in Florida, obviously, the um, foliage is pretty incredible. And so I I must have just been looking around and got inspired one day, I guess. Well, you also had a, a, a devoted captive audience in your family because, you, as, as I've heard you tell, you would uh, you know, basically say, I'm going to put on the show, and Cassidy would go to work uh, in front yeah. two, uh, un- totally unaware of what was going to be act two or act three. But uh, they were very, uh, in the best sense of the word, indulging and loving. How did that build your yeah. confidence? It built it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have it, I think, without that. Um, they just were always really supportive and whatever I wanted to do, whether it was, I, I wanted to hide behind my mom's legs. I wasn't prepared to be, um, you know, seen by people or the moment I decided I wanted to be on stage, you know, they were all for it. And, um, I remember, you know, I would have these moments of, um, extrovert, you know, energy. I would want to put on these shows. And then the next day, if it were, you know, a holiday or somebody's birthday and a bunch of people were were over and family were over and they asked me to sing in front of people for some reason I was so scared and I just didn't want to do it and I think a lot of that is you know I, I when I was just around my mom and dad and my sister I felt really safe and fine and then then the next moment with more people around I just, I just got really nervous and these people I would see again so I thought if I mess up they're gonna be back and they're gonna make fun of me and so I, I kind of went back and forth between being ready to give a show and, and then just wanting to hide. <laughs> so it was back and forth a lot. Well, there are two things I'm very interested in. When did you first realize, Cassidy, that you desired to be a musical artist? I mean, was there an epiphany, even if you were eight? I mean, certainly if you're writing a song at seven, it's there. When did it seem like an, a, a potential option for you? Well, 
I really, I started singing, like taking voice lessons when I was four years old. And the reason I decided to do that was my sister was taking voice lessons from this woman, Marie. She would travel from Jacksonville, Florida to West Palm Beach to give her and a few other kids voice lessons. Um, but my sister ended up needing to get her adenoids removed so she couldn't oh um, sing for two weeks. And yes. I remember... Um, my her her voice coach Marie just asked, you know, would Cassidy want to step in for Ashley when she's, you know, recovering and just try it? And I I remember trying it and hating it at first. I I was always really um, I still am pretty hard on myself when I first start things, and I the the idea of starting something and not being good at it right away kind of makes me want to die. <laughs> <laughs> so as a kid, I I really I mean I was pretty, I was pretty intense. I would, I would, I definitely had temper tantrums when I was a kid. Um, and so I just was really annoyed and pissed. I wasn't good at it. Um, and then I remember one day, um, I was watching TV and I, I, I forget which network it was on, but I saw Mariah Carey singing on stage in this stunning dress and her voice just perfect and pitch perfect and incredible and wanting to just continue to try. And, um, so that was, was really an inspiration to keep going. Um, and then, and then next thing I know, I, I was practicing one day by myself because my voice coach was very, um, adamant, you need to practice on your own or this isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one day I just, I started having a vibrato and I was like, what is this? <laughs> um, and I remember hearing a lot about it and trying to do it and, uh, not, succeeding. And one day it just happened. And I think that was the moment where I was like, Oh, I think I might be decent at this, even at that young of an age. And I thought, well, maybe I should just keep doing it and do what Marie says and see what happens. So, yeah. Well, you did eventually pick up instruments. Um, you play the guitar and, um, at what age did you pick up the guitar and what kind of guitar was it? I see, I play guitar too. So I'm always intrigued by these oh, types of gosh. things. Well, it's embarrassing because it was a gift from my dad for Christmas when I was nine years old, and I don't remember the kind, but I know it's actually in my guitar, in a guitar case in my mom's garage here in Nashville. So I, I could let you know um, at some point. <laughs> it's all right. Inquiry, inquiring minds and idle minds want to know, but and I'll, I'll fit into this <laughs> to the second category. Um, but hold on uh-huh. to it. You know, if you go to the, uh, have you been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland? I haven't. Oh, All those you've got to go. Cassidy, Cassidy, I, I implore you, I beg you, you've got to go. But when you go, you will see many artists' first guitar. So, for instance, mm. Bono's very first guitar, which was just, I mean, it was crudely made. It was just like a block of wood with strings on it, but you're on display. So for your for your future favor with your fans, you must hold on and treasure that guitar, uh, guitar in the Absolutely. garage. And one day, who knows, it may be in the Country Music Hall of Fame or, or Slash Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as, as well. When you pick up a guitar cool. uh, as, as a songwriter and the new album, uh, Rise and Shine, which is um, very uh, intriguing because you touch on a lot of different topics, as a songwriter – you pick up a guitar, and I have a propensity, and most songwriters do, to go to a first chord, what I call the, you know, the, the favorite chord that you just tend to play as soon as you pick it up. When mm. you pick up when you pick up your guitar, what chord do you play first? <laughs> You're gonna love this. Okay, so I actually I know how to play. I've I've been playing for a really long time. I don't know what chords I'm playing. I don't even know the notes. I I play by ear. I love you. 
I love you. That's no. great. You know shapes. It, I feel so. I feel so ashamed because I live Don't. in a town where people speak num- the number system and notes and everything. And I'm yeah. just like, well, I can play. If you sing it to me, I can play it. And um, that's that's how I've been doing it since I started playing guitar. But I, I've in quarantine, I've been telling myself I just gotta like bite the bullet and just start trying to learn these notes. And I've, I'm just dreading it. Cause again, I, I hate starting things that I know I'm not going to be good at. Right well, away. I, I've, I've got some encouraging news for you. Okay. Chrissy Hines of the pretenders does not know the name of most chords. She has said that interviews in, in, in oh. many interviews, it's they're just shapes to her. And she even yeah. just, you know, fools around to, she finds a shape that sounds nice and like, Oh, that's it. You know? So you run into these people, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a nice sauce, you know, <laughs> minor, you you know, yeah. G7 or something. And you're like, what? Yes. You know, so I, I fully get it. I, I do fully know get I it. I play in drop D. I do know I play in drop D. Oh, and good. I know that I like, um, I gravitate towards more open tuning. So that's more my style. For okay, sure. good. All right. So uh, you find your shape. Uh, is it a consistent shape that you tend to go to when you pick up the guitar, at least, even if you don't know the name yes. of the chord? Okay. So you, so you yeah. go to the shape. And what's the next part of the process? Because when people hear Rise and Shine, the new album by Cassidy Pope, they're going to listen to the tunes. And there's many of them will say, how did you get this? This is good stuff. How did you arrive <laughs> at it? So how did you do it initially? Every song is so different. Um, sometimes I will start with the chord and then sometimes I'll just have a melody in my head and I'll sing it and, and start playing something underneath it until it sounds right. Um, and then sometimes it'll be a concept, you know, for counting on the weather. That was 100 um, percent a concept that I had thought of that I just I, I knew what I wanted it to sound like, but it was more of the title that I wanted to mm-hmm. focus on. Um, so it, it's different every time, but I I am a melody person. Um, usually when I, I have my publisher put sessions together, I tell her, make sure you put me with a strong lyricist because I think that's the department where I need a little extra boost. Mm-hmm. Um, but melodies, I'm all over it. I love melodies. And um, so that's kind of the dynamic in a session usually is if I have a, have a concept I bring in, I usually have a pretty awesome lyricist there to kind of help me um, expand on it. And, and that's really why my songwriting's even gotten um, ha- has even progressed over the years because I just try and put myself in a room with people that, um, you know, know how to bring that out of me. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Watching America. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, your host, and my guest is the very talented Cassidy Pope. Now, you probably know her from Hey Monday. She was with the band from about, oh, the age of 17 to about 21. But most people will recall that on the third season of The Voice, she sang a number called Torn and subsequently had all four chairs turn around, and she won the season. Um, Her new album is entitled Rise and Shine, and we are delighted to have her here with us as we continue. So, okay, you you write your songs, you have your lyrics. One of the things I I immediately like about you, and I have to uh, share with you, Cassidy, is you're you're very earnest and candid and unpretentious, which is great. (laughs) And it's sometimes a rarity in the the business that you're in. you started out uh, teenage kind of rock and rollish, if I may say that. And um, then the interesting thing I found is that you wrote the majority of the songs for the band for Hey Monday. Yes, I um, I wrote a lot of them with my guitar player before we even went into the studio. Um, and before we were even signed, we, we wrote a bunch of stuff together in, in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, and a lot of that was Mike Gentile, my guitar player, um, writing the guitar parts and just 
basically writing the music for the song. And then I would um, put the melodies and lyrics under it. And then by the time we went to New York and started cutting our record with, um, with Sam Hollander and Dave Katz, uh, th- that sort of process got a little bit changed because all of a sudden we have these like huge producers in the room with us trying to, you know, streamline the process and make the songs make a little bit more sense. Like I'll be honest, our songs were pretty discombobulated when we first started writing Mm -hmm. as compared to getting in the studio with professionals. So it it was great. It was a really good learning experience, but, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I wrote everything and, um, had some co-writing when I was in New York. Um, I remember one session with, with, um, two members of the Hooters, which was really cool. Yes. And, um, and, uh, that was one of the songs on our last EP. So I, I got in some really cool rooms. Are you comfortable in the studio? I mean, I, I imagine you do your demos at home first and then, uh, take them to your, to your publish, publishers and, and, uh, mm. um, Producers and then you know obviously rework them. Is is the studio a favored environment for you, or is it a means to an end? I love the studio. I love the studio. I mean, I um, the Hey Monday process for the, the studio process was kind of different than well, it was a lot different than in Nashville what I do now. But in in New York when we did our record, it was um, in one room. It was at the in the back of a um, in, in the back of Crush Management, their offices there, and it was it, yeah, it was one room with one vocal booth, and a lot of the music was played in that room, um, and and the drums uh, were done at a different location and sent in. So um, it was way different than what I do now in Nashville, and I do prefer what I do now here because. You get in a room. It actually feels more like a band than it did when I was in Hey Monday because the whole band gets in a room and it's live and they might, you know, oh, the guitar player might be like, oh, I'll just punch in this one part on like in verse two because I messed up, but I don't want everybody else to have to do it too. So like things like that, they'll punch things in, but it's just such a more immersive um experience and I'm and I get to sit in there and and give references of oh hey can you play this a little bit more like Foo Fighters or could you yes. play this a little bit more with like a sus and whatever so like I, I just I love the process I really do artists have producers because they need another set of ears and uh, mm-hmm. but there's sometimes even under the best of circumstances a slight tension uh, particularly over perhaps a favored track you know every song you've written I'm quite sure you think of as your baby and so you're putting your babies into the hands of others and have you ever had a moment although we're not being critical of your management or, or persons that um, help you and assist you have you ever had a moment though when you've had to say with a particular track say no I'm very sorry this is what I want this is how it's going to be and perhaps even on the verge of tears or or, or being you know clenching your fist with frustration have you been there? Oh. Oh, um, I have been there for sure, but I haven't succeeded in my um, attempt to get my way until now. Off with our heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, my whole career has been, um, until about a few years ago, has been really, that's been a, a huge issue and a huge problem for me because I do get really, um, I mean, obviously people say don't take it personal, it's a business, but it, it's personal to me because it's my heart and my soul. And so there's been a lot of times where I've really believed in the song or I've really hated a song mm-hmm. and, and it's been, you know, 
a lot of it was my, um, my lack of, of trust in myself and, and confidence to really stick to my guns. But, um, but yeah, I mean, my, so much of my career was that, you know, being like, I really don't think this is the right song or I love this song. Can we please, you know, make it work? Can we put it out? And it's being shut down either way. So it's kind of, kind of crazy. <laughs> well, kind of you, know, you know this, Cassidy, and those just joining us, I'm speaking with the very lovely and talented Cassidy Pope. Her new album is entitled Rise and Shine. Um, you know, Cassidy, that whenever somebody does something that's considered slightly exotic, uh, be it broadcasting even a radio program or or uh, writing music, or, people tend to think that there's more liberty and freedom than there really is. Uh, and, mm. and just the work day, it's almost like people working in offices, you know, you compromise and to, to, to get what you what you need to get. Um, right. One of the things is, is if producers sometimes, you know, will get out of the way, then people can do what they want to do. I've, I've always admired Rick Rubin, who I'm sure you're familiar with in, mm, in Nashville. Yes. And, you know, and here's Rick Rubin, and he comes along with Johnny Cash back in the day, uh, you know, 15 years ago, and says, look, I'll let you do what you want to do. I'll just do a slight embellishments once in a while here and there. Fantastic stuff that comes out. Um, you you're going in that direction because this is an acoustic album, uh, Rise and Shine. Mm. So, did you feel at least some degree of greater liberty with this as opposed to the stuff you were doing with Hey Monday? I did, yeah. And and I'm an independent artist now. I'm 30. <laughs> There's so many differences between now and um, back when I was in Hey Monday. But this album, I I, I sought out a producer who would really get it and understand. I actually confided in my producer, Corey Crowder, who did my last record. And um, he, he set me up with this guy, Todd Lombardo. He's an incredible uh, guitarist. He, he played a lot on um, Casey's golden hour. And mm-hmm. he just has like a really special, really um, cozy sound. And that's what I wanted for this record. I also wanted it to sound like an emo country acoustic record, like kind of like <laughs> if my old band did an acoustic record. So, um, I, I ended up chatting with Todd and, and yeah, I mean, the, the sky was the limit for this. You know, I, I just told him, you know, I want you to, to take liberties, but I want you to really think about the direction that I want. And, and a lot of open tuning, a lot of, um, a lot of rubs and, and, you know, I want people to, I want people to feel it in their hearts and their souls. And, and I want people to, to cry and then I want them to laugh and I want them to go through all the emotions. So. We're talking about a, a crying song and high emotions. <laughs> let's, let's play a track. We're going to listen to Hoodie. And then when we come out of it, uh, I, I want you to describe how you arrived at that particular song. Ladies and gentlemen, from the new album Rise and Shine, here's Cassidy Pope with Hoodie. Seems like forever since your cigarettes After school by my car Hope I didn't ruin what you were doing No, I didn't mean to interrupt If it ain't a good time, well that's fine You stop me once I start The price of gas is crazy now The weather's been so up and down Oh my God, I'm stalling now I was just calling Cause I found your hoodie in my backseat And I wore it, still smells like you And it's funny how it took me back to us It's got nothing to do with being in 
From the Rise and Shine album, that was Hoodie. Now, what I love about the lyrics, Cassidy, um, is you're talking about very intimate things. Uh, You've got a garment, clothing you find, uh, you smell the aroma of somebody you've loved, and you are compelled to make contact and yet sometimes that doesn't always go well was that semi-autobiographical or it was was it something that you envisioned it was autobiographical yes um i well when i went into the session i didn't bring in that concept um emily wiseband one of the co-writers did and i immediately i i heard the word hoodie and i immediately thought of this person and this this hoodie and this moment in time where I found it and um, 100% used it as a tool to get in touch with them. Um, But I just thought I cannot be the only one that's done that or that's been the recipient of that kind of thing. So um, it ended up really writing itself because it it can't, I didn't want it to be too smart. I needed it to be conversational. Mm -hmm. I needed it to because that's what it is. It's just a real life experience that is plain and simple and that I've, I've never heard in a song before. So I was really excited to, to you know, to write it and get it out there. Now, I haven't heard that as a theme in a song before. I mean, you know, there's always the issue of the breakup, but then the, the person that reaches out with perhaps the most innocent of intentions and it goes really awry and wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then one feels yeah. like, well, you know, you filled with self-hatred, I presume, of like, why did I do that? And, you know, and oh, to, yeah. to address that shows um, very, very uh, clear sensitivity to the predicaments that uh, thousands upon thousands of your listeners will have experienced. Uh, California. Uh, is a theme that comes up. Now, let me, before we go and actually hear that track, talk about your progression. What happens is um, you are with uh, Hey Monday. Then you begin to realize about the age of 21, nine years ago, that, hey, you know, I'm itching to be my own person and uh, I have to give it a shot. So uh, you go back to West Palm Beach, Florida, and with mum, you drive out to Los Angeles and Mm. new adventures start there. You go from the known world to the unknown world of L.A., and uh, it, it makes a significant impression upon you. You're, you're sleeping on a friend's couch initially. And um, then an opportunity comes to go on this show called The Voice. And uh, things begin to to change for you. And you win, as we've said before, the, the third season. Um, California resonates with you on multiple levels, relationships, career opportunities, uh, the fulfillment of a dream. Uh, and mm. yet you had to leave it. At one point you were living in, in Nashville and L.A., which must have been quite perplexing and expensive. But um, yep. <laughs> um, but you decided to to let go. Now, I lived in California for 11 years and I can't, you know, California gets under your skin, doesn't it, Cassidy? You it just does. can't let go of it. So when I heard your tune, California Dreaming, obviously I thought of, the, you know, uh, the mamas and the papas. But when I heard this geographical, really, coverage of America and, um, you know, going from one environment to another, very clever lyrics involved here, um, I wondered, how does this play in her real life? So Cassidy Pope, tell us the story (laughs) behind the song. 
California Dreaming is a song about somebody being such a imprint on your heart and somebody who uh, you kind of can't quit. That's kind of the, the main message is I cannot leave you behind no matter how much traveling I do, no matter how many places I see, I still see you. And, um, and, and it's definitely a true story. Um, I had somebody who was, you know, a part of my life for a really long time and, and, um, it wasn't, it was, it was a toxic situation, but I just couldn't get them out of my heart. And, um, I, in the session with, um, Shane Stevens and Alex Klein, who I wrote that with, I really felt it was important, even though it might not be the most relatable concept, I felt like it was really important for me to talk about how I've traveled the world and I still couldn't get this person out of my heart. And, um, and then going into the studio to cut this, it was kind of a really full circle moment for me because my boyfriend, Sam, he, um, went in, in to sing the harmonies on this and he knows the whole story about this person <laughs> and how much they hurt me. Um, and Sam it was Palladio. So cool to have Sam Palladio. That's yeah. correct. Right. He's, uh, he's a Brit as well. Yes. Um, and, um, it was just cool to have the man that makes me so happy and that I'm in love with seeing, uh, lyrics with me to a, a song about somebody who's hurt me from the past. It just was like a very like aha moment in the studio. But yeah, that, that song is, is definitely a tearjerker. <laughs> you must've felt a little bit like Odell. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Getting like one, the, the getting one back. <laughs> exactly. Maybe yeah. it's like the tiniest sliver of Adele in there. All right. Yeah. Enough talking. Let's go to the track California Dreaming from the new album Rise and Shine by Cassidy Pope with... Her current love of her life, Sam Palladio, <laughs> which means everything's secure now and has been amended and all the planets have aligned perfectly for her romantically. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the track. But my soul keeps searching for my California dream. I've been flying and crying, trying to leave you where I've been. But the cracks in my heart always let you back in. Keep trying to lose you in the Hollywood hills. When you hear a track like that, um, do you are you able to st to hear it as a song, or do you think, no, I remember we had to work on this, and we had to do this, you know, uh, punch in here, and we had to do that? Can you separate yourself from the memories of the production and get mm. back to how you originally wrote it when you were strumming it on your on your lap? I can, I can, um, especially with with this production. It's acoustic, it's stripped back, so I'm not. I'm not distracted by all the things that go into recording usually. And with my full band projects, I'm, I'm pretty good at being able to separate it and listen to it for what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I love that these lyrics and the melodies are so upfront. The one thing I will say about California dreaming that I remember when I hear it, um, is the last harmony Sam does on the very end of the song where he goes even higher in his falsetto voice. Mm -hmm. um, I remember just getting chills all over my body and thinking this is like going to be my favorite part of the record. And it, and it is. So that's the one thing I do think about. 
of of all the selections on the album, it struck me as the one closest to being Joni Mitchellish in style. And of course, she had a very famous oh. song called "California" on the album Blue. Um, mm. So, but the, the, there's there's a hint of that, and it sounds like you know she may or may not have been an influence. I know that you adore Patsy Cline. Um, yeah. How did you come to become enchanted with Patsy Cline? A a Virginian, incidentally. Oh gosh, um, my well again, my my family from Pennsylvania. I. Uh, would go there every summer. Um, it's this rural town called Vandergrift. And I remember my grandma and pappy, my great grandparents, um, they had a ton of Patsy vinyl up there. And so I was always listening to that when I would visit. Um, and just in general, that, that area in Pennsylvania is just a lot more, um, there's a lot more country music, um, uh, people lovers there. So I, that's, that's kind of, where I was exposed to Patsy. And then I think it was up there where I watched the movie. Uh, I can't even remember the name. It's oh, so old. <laughs> Sorry. Sweet Dreams, I think it was. I think it was. And I just remember bawling because I thought she was, you know, I thought she was the actress in the movie and everything. And then my parents had to tell me that she had died. And I was like, what? Oh, I had yeah. no idea she was, she was already gone, so that was that was sad. Well, Loretta Lynn wrote a book about Patsy Cline because they were friends, and uh, oh. so Loretta Lynn, uh, that's her latest book actually, is about uh, Patsy Cline. You do um, not totally disassociate with your past, which is is nice to know. Um, in fact, you will revisit your past, and you do on this album with the song Hangover. It was originally cut by Hey Monday, and you decided to do it again. Why was that? Hangover was one of the most um, country songs that we had ever done. I remember doing the session with Butch Walker and thinking this song feels like it's not, it's it's so much less of a snapshot into the sound we had at the time. It felt like it was going to hold up. And, and sure enough, when I was talking about, you know, putting a Hey Monday song on this record, um, I just went and looked through and just thought, I mean, this theme, this song seems like, a no-brainer to put on there because at its core, it's a country song, and and we always played it acoustic on tour. Um, so I knew it, it sounded good acoustic, and yeah, it's just held up over the years. One of your earlier tunes was "Wasting All These Tears," which clearly has a uh, country sound to it. I mean, given the fact that it has a prominent banjo, so you had visited this kind of territory before. So uh, you don't mind reinterpreting your music now. When you see Bob Dylan. Uh, in concert, mm. and I'm a huge Dylan fan. Um, yeah. He never does the tune he recorded the same way. I mean, give up on it. You you won't, you know, Columbia issues the record, everyone goes buys, buys the album or the CD or downloads now, and you go and see him, and it's going to be different lyrics, different key, different uh, <laughs> uh, rhythm, entirely different measures. Um, have you ever done that just for fun to go out? And Will, the, will your audience forgive you? for reinterpreting mm. your songs and doing them differently on stage? Because, I mean, let's be honest, you're on tour, night after night you're doing the exact same thing, and sometimes right. you probably just want to shake it up and say, no, we're doing it, <laughs> it's going to be a waltz tonight. How, yeah. how do you handle that? Oh. I I tend to err on the side of, of making it sound more like the record. There's yes. been a couple of times where I take songs and I'll make them acoustic and just give them a little bit more of a moment. But um, I, I'm still at the point in my career where I feel like so many people still don't know my music. And I'm, I get a little nervous um, taking a song like Wasting All These Tears that people may not know um, and, and changing it. And maybe it doesn't 
sound, it doesn't have the same impact as it does as the record. So I just, I get nervous that people are going to be like, oh, she was okay. She had like a couple of songs that were fine, but like the sound or whatever. Um, so I, I, it, it's definitely a fear-based thing, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, that's kind of the way that I look at it right now. Someday if it's, you know, a huge song that everybody knows, then great. I would totally love to reimagine it and do something fun with it. You are now 30 years of age, which is young, but of course, when you're 14, you don't realize that. Um, right. How are you different as an artist, Cassidy Pope, at 30 oh. versus being 17 and just starting out with, with, with Hey Monday? I think, I mean, my songwriting has gotten better. I think um, when I listen, I know as a 30-year-old listening back to my 17-year-old lyrics, some of them I really cringe, but I know that's all part of the process. But I think overall the thing the thing that's changed the most and i it just kind of trickles into my music is is my myself like i am a lot more um inclined to trust myself now i'm i'm a lot more go with your gut kind of person uh, my decision making is it's not um as based in why here are the reasons it's not going to work so let's not do this you know which is what i've done most of my career because of the people around me and the people that were afraid that it wasn't going to work. And so I think, you know, getting my head straight and getting my heart in the right place and really learning self-love and, um, and really addressing some of the things that were getting in my way creatively, um, you know, it really did it just made its way into my music. So I kind of owe that to the, the work I've done with, therapy and mental health and everything like that. Well, you're in company with millions upon millions of Americans who have gone into counseling or therapy of various sorts. And um, did it liberate you to to be uh, an even more expensive artist or did it give you just greater <clears throat> clarity with what you want to do? It, it gave me more clarity for sure. I mean, I think a lot of the things that I've had been doing at, up until that point was I need to make sure that people think I, I think I'm actually a country artist. So I need to dial it back on how much I talk about my old band and I need to um, not wear Converse all the time. And I need to make sure that people know that I'm, I'm here in Nashville because I want to be, it's not because I'm using it as a stepping stone to, cause that's a lot of what, people, that's why I had to prove myself even more when I came to town, because I was coming from a singing competition show where I didn't start on their singing country music. And my whole story on the show was, Hey Monday. And so people were like, but where's the country element here? Like, and, and people didn't know that I grew up singing country music and that I idolized Patsy and all that. So, um, a lot of it was really proving myself and kind of discrediting what I had done before my country career. And, um, and, and, you know, now I'm, I'm looking at it dead in the face and, and, it, and I'm grateful for, for the band and everything that I've done with it. So, and I'm not sure I would have done that had it not been, you know, confronting my mental health and the things that I was doing in my personal life that kind of mirrored what I was doing in my professional life. Um, a lot of past traumas and just, and, and not, um, and not discrediting those either. A lot of my problem was just, um, what Brene Brown says is, 
as she calls it, comparative suffering. And that's what I did. I would just be like, well, my problems aren't that big. So I really need to just like shut up and get it together. Um, but once I kind of looked past that and decided, you know what, actually some of the stuff that I went through as a kid with my parents' divorce and um, just being in the music industry at a really young age and being told how to be, who to be, um, a lot of that sucked and it wasn't easy and it, and it really affected me. So um, once I, I looked at that and I unpacked all of that and, and um, accepted it, I was able to really move on from it. And then I all of a sudden got this newfound pride for where I came from. So that's kind of why I'm able to really own who I, where I've been and who I've been. And um, it's helped me to kind of look forward. A lot of people make assumptions about what it's like to be an artist and they think, oh, to be touring the world must be uh, completely marvelous and what have you. But what they don't realize is that persons like yourself may find yourself in a European city and you have to go out and perform, and yet you are aware suddenly of something that's going on at home, perhaps mm. something that's not resolved, and there are expectations that you have to go out into this lonely stage and perform for two hours, when in fact you, you just want to stay in the in the hotel room and perhaps weep or sort, mm. sort your thoughts out. Uh, have you had lonely moments like that on the road? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I remember when, well, there's been a lot, but when my, one of my best friends have passed away, um, probably four years now, but I remember getting the phone call that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was right before I went on stage to do this, um, radio acoustic show. So it was like a guitar pool with other artists as well. Mm -hmm. And I just remember wanting to stay on the phone with my boyfriend at the time and just hear all the details and everything. And he didn't know, no, I was going on stage. Um, basically the timing didn't line up. So I couldn't really like just stay on the phone and get all the answers I wanted. Um, so I had to get on stage and, and turn it on for, for two hours. Um, um, so that was, that was a hard one. I also remember just getting, you know, getting out of that long-term relationship with the person I just mentioned and, um, and being on the road right after that breakup and, and sort of not, not realizing, realizing that I didn't have a person to text or call after the show and talk about the show or, um, just like if I saw something awesome or saw something funny on the road, I would have somebody to talk to about it, which eventually I realized you don't need, it's not, doesn't have to be the person you're just in a relationship. It could be with a friend, you know, yes, but yes. at the time that's all I had known. So that was really, that was a, that was a few months of, of being really lonely and not being sure how to, um, how to share something with, with myself instead of always sharing it with somebody else. And conversely, have there been times where you have been emotionally distraught about something going on and that you actually found that going out on stage was a relief, a blessed distraction for two hours? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, that that's it. Like that time where I felt lonely and I didn't have my, you know, ex there to talk to all the time. I'd get on stage and... I would escape that. And, um, some of the songs definitely brought back some memories and, and I've, I felt those lyrics even more. So in some ways it was really good for my performances, but, um, a lot of the songs, uh, were just reminders of, 
you know, why I do what I do and, and how good it makes me feel. And if the crowd was amazing, I would have this huge sense, like this huge burst of confidence because, oh my gosh, people like me and I have a fan base and they care about me and I care about them. So like, it's going to be okay. So those, yeah, those moments on stage definitely help. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Watching America. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, your host, and Cassidy Pope is my delightful guest. You remember her from Hey Monday. You also certainly remember her from winning the third season of The Voice. Uh, I have selected two tracks of my choosing, which were um, certainly Hangover and California Dreaming. I'd like you to choose the next selection. What would you like us to play? Ooh, that's fun. Um, I would like us to play Sandpaper. Sandpaper, here we go. It was all good in the beginning. You were my, my biggest fan when I was winning. Just because you don't see me the same in your eyes doesn't mean I'm not cold that I lost my shining. I'm through with all the pretending Acting like you ain't spinning Sandpaper Keep wearing me down Till I'm just about nothing at all Heartbreaker Thought we were falling in love But real love don't take your soul Try to swim on my edges But what you don't get is I told you that this is who I am You can't change me now or later Like sandpaper Sandpaper. What an interesting track because it basically the way I interpret it, it, it deals with the wearing away of, uh, if you will, the the outer layers and the smoothing. But that's a painful process at the same time. What was the inspiration yeah. for that? I felt like the t- at the time I wrote it, I felt like people sort of. Um, I, I came to the realization people were really trying to smooth out my edges and and really trying to make me less. Um, edgy really and and it was I just got to the point where I I was annoyed and I was sick of it and I um I had been very honest about who I am to everyone in my life um from the beginning of being on The Voice to coming to Nashville so it really honestly um is more about my professional life than my personal life and and just coming to the to a point where I'm I just decided I know what you're doing I'm I'm not okay with it and um and you're just gonna have to either accept me or let's move along so do you find Cassidy that even you know the insidiousness of this situation is even when you don't intentionally mean to uh if you are a generous giving personality which you strike me very much as being and a sensitive personality um there is this inclination to want to accommodate and to want to fulfill other people's expectations until, as you've just indicated, you wake up and say, no, 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 I don't want to do this. Um, right. We don't have to be famous or a musician to fall into that. We can do it in, in indeed, the workplace. We can do it in relationships. Uh, this idea of fulfilling others' expectations. When was the, the, the hallmark moment when you said, no, I'm not doing this mm. anymore? 
Um, it was when I had a, I had a song that I really believed in called summer and I, um, I, we sent it to country radio and they loved it and they were really supportive of it. They just, obviously it takes like a year for a song, especially for a female, for a song to go number one at country radio. But I was determined. I was ready to wait. And after five weeks it got pulled and I just felt like given up on. Um, and I felt like a lot of the, uh, reaction and a lot of the, um, feedback was so good that there was, it wasn't warranted. And, um, and that was the moment where I decided, okay, it's time to move on. We're not seeing eye to eye. And thankfully it was amicable. Um, you know, it's Nashville, you run into people all the time. Well, not these days, but (laughs) usually you run into people all the time. And, um, I wanted it to stay amicable. So that was good. But yeah, that was the moment where I, I knew I had to step away. Uh, it is a truism without question that when it comes to programming for uh, most uh, stations, country stations, there is a favoritism disproportionately to male voices and female voices. Um, mm-hmm. How do you continue to work through that without becoming uh, bitter? Uh, you have uh, uh, certainly uh, reasons to have a righteous indignation about, hey, wait a minute, don't pull my record. <laughs> but how do you continue to work through that? I, I've, I've definitely put less weight on it as, than I used to. Um, I think when you're, on a, when you're on a record label, it's all people want, you know. And, and, right. and, and, and of course, it, it translates to sales. It translates to, you know, your booking agency being able to tell promoters and all these different cities, hey, she's got a number one at country radio and you get a higher guarantee, you know, so it just, it kind of trickles out into every other aspect of your career, but so does having millions of streams on Spotify. So does um, having a, a, a huge exposure from press around a release. And so does having really strong social media numbers. So I don't, um, I, I kind of, if, if if country radio isn't something that's um, uh, obtained, I can I can pivot and figure out a way to make other areas of my career just as strong. We're going to go out with one of your tracks of your selection, but before we do that, I want to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the hidden strength that you have that most people aren't aware of? Oh, um, that most people aren't aware of. I don't, I think they're aware of my resilience because they've seen my many lives in this industry, but, um, I, I think empathy, um, I don't know if people see my empathy. I've, uh, I've put a lot of work in and really strengthening that. And also just, um, going through my own hardships and being able to look at someone's situation and see it for what it is instead of comparing it to, you know, oh, that person shouldn't be upset because it's not that bad or anything like that. I think empathy is definitely one of the things that um, I've I've gotten better at over the years. Cassidy Pope, I have to tell you that coming into this interview, I was hoping that I was going to enjoy it. I've more than enjoyed it because I've enjoyed you. Aww. I have found you to be a refreshing, earnest, honest voice, um, sensitive, open, uh, not self-obsessed, but realistic and kind, and indeed a person who exudes empathy for others because it's evident not only in your artistry and your work, but your general attitude. And so it's been an enriching experience for me, Cassidy Pope. Uh, 
And I certainly hope <laughs> that you will come back again when you have another album after this one. Go out, get the album Rise and Shine by Cassidy Pope. And uh, it's a diverse album, acoustically based, with heartfelt lyrics. And she has things to say that deserve to be heard. And your track? I would like to go out with Rise and Shine. We'll go out with the title track. How appropriate. <laughs> Take care and God bless. And thank you so very, very much, Cassidy Pope, for being thank with us. Thank you. This was so, so awesome. I really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care and God bless. I mean that. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. You've been listening to Watching America. Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. When someone you still love has gone away. Our producer, Paul Bebo. And everywhere you look, you see that face. Our senior producer is Gina Gamboni. I'm trying to find the strength to carry on. Executive producer, Chuck Dowd. Because you know it's always darkest before the dawn. Chief of content, Heather Mazzoni. So and CEO Bert Schmidt. Today, tonight. When times get tough, you know, matter what, we gotta ride. I'm watching America's creator and host, Dr. Alan Campbell. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for your kind and considerate contributions that make this show possible. Until next time, take care and blessings. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.